we tend, we tend to fear what we don't understand. We tend to feel we can redefine what we don't understand. So what is it we don't understand about marriage? Do we believe marriage is all about happiness and my eternal bliss? Or is there something that has more to do with the purpose and God's design for, for marriage? I mean, you may be here this day and thinking, you know, give me one good reason why I should get married. Because apparently a lot of folks in Arizona want to get married. I have, there may be others of you sitting here saying, give me one good reason why I should stay married. Um, I desire to do that this morning right from the Word of God. Holly and I have been married now 38 years. And it's not because our marriage is always happy and bliss. Remember, like, like I said, I'm uh, French and she's British. That blend has created a lot of wars in history. <laughs> it's because Holly and I do understand what our marriage is really all about. And so I sometimes question her DNA. She wonders about my heritage. And if there was a window big enough, we probably would have thrown each other out of it a long time ago. But because we understand what marriage is really all about as it was designed from the beginning by God himself it gives us a great sense of purpose and reason why we hang in our marriage and I want you to understand what that purpose and that reason is so if you love God and you have your Bibles open to Genesis the first book of the Bible Genesis chapter 2 I have been asked you know what is a piece of paper the piece of paper is a testimony of a covenant you make to marriage but if you don't understand what marriage is, then I would understand why you would be fearful to make a covenant to it or might even want to run from it. So let me take you to the origin of marriage. Here in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. He says it's good. Then he creates the first man, and we pick it up in chapter 2, verse 18, and we read, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So God does some minor surgery. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fastened into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man went, whoa! Which in the Hebrew is, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha. The Hebrew word for man is Ish. God creates Isha, another being, a female being. And because she was taken out of the man, she was called woman. So God creates the first man, male, then he creates the first woman, female, and the very first thought God has is marriage. Look at verse 24. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and his mother and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Marriage. Two becoming one flesh. No, 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 what, what is this that God, from the beginning, creates male and female, and he creates them in such a way so that the two would become this one flesh, marriage. Now, I used to think this one flesh meant your children. 
that that literally my DNA and Holly's DNA were mixed together and we came up with John and Kent. John and Kent literally are the one flesh uh, of Daryl and Holly. So I thought he's talking about you get married to have these children and they become the one flesh. Others have said, no, this speaks of the, uh, the, the, the intimacy between a couple when they're, when they're together in, in, in special sexual intimacy. And, and so he's talking about the two becoming one because it feels like you're one person and it's an emotional ecstasy. I don't know, we can guess all day long what it means, one flesh. But I think, well, let's go to someone who knows exactly what is meant here. And I think I would go to Jesus. Because Jesus actually comments on this very passage in Matthew chapter 19. Some Jewish leaders come to Jesus on this whole issue, giving him a hard time. And in verse 4, Jesus responds to them. And he says in Matthew 19 verse 4, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now he's quoting Genesis 1.27 when he says, God created man in his own image. In his own image, he created them male and female. So he says, have you not read, do you not remember from the beginning, God created two beings, male and female, and both were created in God's image. But now, Jesus jumps to chapter 2 of Genesis, right to marriage, right to, I'm explaining to us what, what verse 24 means. He says in verse 5, and it says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Now Jesus explains. Next verse. Consequently, they are no more two, but one flesh. Now if it meant my children, then that meant soon Holly and I had our children, we should have died. Because the two no longer exist. For the two are one flesh. If the one flesh refers to my children, then I'm God here. Holly's out of here. That's not what he's talking about, our children. He says, notice, the two become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one cut my kids in half. That's not what he's talking about. Let no one separate the intimacy you have with each other. Hey, you got to leave the bedroom sometime. It's not like you're always going to be together. That's not what he's talking about. Well, then what is he talking about here? The two become one flesh. They're no longer two. They're now one flesh. God has joined them into something new, a new creation. Has it ever bothered you? Have you ever read in the Scriptures different things? And you go, whoa, I don't know if I can really agree with that. There's all kinds of things God has said I don't agree with. Of course, I'm always wrong. But one was this fact that you realize in the Mosaic Code, in the Old Testament, under Mosaic Law, we're under Law of Grace, but under the ancient Mosaic Law, that the penalty for adultery was the same as the penalty for murder. In Leviticus, for example, chapter 24 says in verse 17, And if a man takes the life of any human being, he shall be surely be put to death. Now why is it that serious that in the Mosaic Code, that if a man takes the life of another man, his life should be forfeited? Well, the reason for that is given in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, when, when, the, when Moses says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. So if I take a man's life, 
then by man my life should be taken. And here's the reason. For in the image of God, he made man. See, murder is to destroy one who bears the image of God. But how could that be the same as adultery? Because in Leviticus chapter 20, I read this. It says in verse um, 10. He says, and if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, and one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall, it's the same Hebrew phrase, surely be put to death. Now how could he say adultery, which is the destruction of a marriage? How could he say that is as serious and deserves the same penalty as someone who takes a life? Unless they're both destroying the same thing. So what are you talking about, Daryl? Well, Jesus said, God joins them together and the two shall become one. And the two become one because God has joined a new creation and that new creation bears His image. Now what does it mean, I as an individual bear the image of God? Or Holly and I, when we were married in this covenant, God joined us and now as two being one, we bear the image of God. Well, what's the point of bearing the image of God? I mean, God has, has all kinds of creatures, all kinds of beings, but only human beings are ever created in His image. It's because we have a capacity to manifest something the rest of the creation cannot. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, last two verses, it says, Don't you know you've been bought with a price? You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God with your body. 1 Corinthians 10 says, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the, what? Glory of God. Psalm 19, verse 1. God created the heavens and the earth to demonstrate and manifest His glory. So we all would admit that we're created and our purpose for living is to manifest the glory of God. All right, let's get started. We Christians tend to be satisfied with the language. Even language, we don't have a clue what it means. And so we all agree we need to manifest the glory of God, but we don't know how to do that. That's why it is so great that Moses asked the question. Remember we studied this before, back in Exodus 33, Moses is in serious trouble. His people are, remember, worshiping the golden idol? He just broke the Ten Commandments on the ground. He thinks God's going to kill him like bad sweat in the desert. And then he says, God, what are you going to do? i got to know what you're like. How are you going to respond to us? And that's when he asked God in Exodus 33, God, show me your glory. Now, do you remember what Moses was asking God when he asked, show me your glory? In chapter 34 of Exodus, he shows that the glory and his name, one's name, one's glory, synonymous. Your glory is your name. Your name is your glory. It is what people think about you. The question Moses was asking is, God, what do you want people to know about you first? That's your glory. That's your name. You all have it. What do you want people to know about you first? Now that's what Moses is asking God, and that's when God responds by saying, I will show you my goodness. And he says, I want you to know exactly what my goodness looks like. So in chapter 34, he says, when you see my name, my glory, my goodness, what you will see is compassion, graciousness, slow to anger, 
truth, forgiveness, and loving kindness. Remember Hesed, the Hebrew word? That's when you approach somebody and what's on your mind is their well-being. God says, that's my glory. That's my goodness. That's what I want to be seen. But those can only be seen how? In relationship. How can you ever see graciousness? Somebody actually encouraging somebody if there's not someone else to encourage. How can you ever manifest compassion? Seeing somebody suffering and wanting to do something to relieve some of the suffering unless someone else is suffering. How can you speak truth to another if there's no one else to speak it to? How can you be slow to anger if there's no one to get you angry? How can you indeed show loving kindness if there's no one? You can only see the glory of God in relationship. You can only see these things in relationship. Have you ever wondered why there's a trinity? I wake up in the middle of the night with thoughts like this. Uh, it's because God... You know, it's usually because I spent a whole day trying to explain, try to teach in a class about the Trinity so we can understand the Trinity. When down deep I know, I still don't understand it. And I get so tired of for people saying, well, you believe in many gods, you believe in three gods, you believe in a three-headed God. No, one God, three persons, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and I don't understand how that works. But what if Sigmund Freud was right? See, Sigmund Freud was the one who said, there are no gods. We have created gods out of our own emotional needs. Okay, maybe so. But then my question is, why would I create a god I don't understand and I can't explain? <laughs> See, the fact that God reveals himself to be a trinity is the very evidence God is who he claims to be because I would, have made up, I would never have made that up, nor could any human being. But why is God a trinity? Because God creates life and he has life within himself because life is relationship. Father relationship with the son, the son with the spirit. Why? That is why when he created the man, what was the first not good of his creation? It's not good for man to be alone. Because the God who wanted to author life could not give life to somebody who is alone. The word for death in the Bible is thanatos. Like thanatology is the study of death and dying. And it means isolation. It means aloneness. Because when there's isolation from relationship, there is no life. There is no living because the beauty and the life of God cannot be seen. And so the Trinity makes sense to me. God who creates life has life within himself. But then the Son comes. And Colossians 1.15, who's the visible image of the invisible God? Because God is invisible. How are we going to know what God is like when he's invisible? So the invisible, the visible image of invisible God, God the Son, came to this earth. And we saw the beauty of what the Father was really like. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. For the Son is the exact representation of the nature of the Father, so we can see what the Father is like. But it was only seen, he was only seen when Jesus what? sat on a bench by himself only as we, he, we saw the way he treated others. When we saw Jesus in relationship, that's when we saw the beauty of God's goodness. That's when we saw the compassion and the power of graciousness and slow to anger and truth and forgiveness and loving kindness. It's always seen in relationship. But now God the Son, he's returned to heaven. He's enjoying life within the Trinity. And he leaves us 
And he created male and female. And when there's a covenant made to God, God joins the two. The two are no longer two. They become one flesh. And this new one flesh now bears the image of God. That's why when you destroy the marriage, you destroy one who bears the image of God. In God's sight, it's the same thing as taking a human life who bears the image of God as well. That's why God takes it so seriously. Where can you see the beauty of God in the clearest of all relationships? It's a relationship that God has designed, that God has joined between a husband and a wife. Now, it's not so much you knew married one. You've been married one, two years. I mean, golly, you're all hormonal. You're all over each other. Now, by the way, I can say stuff like this is because you can't email me. Jamie is more than happy to take all emails, just send her right to him, you know, as far as that goes. But I'll tell you, have you seen people that are married 20 years, 30 years? You see a couple married 40 years, you see a couple married 50 years. And you see the husband being so gracious to her, helping her, concerned, blessing her. You see the wife concerned about his hurting and his pain and shows compassion. You see the two of them speaking truth to each other. You see them forgiving each other. You see them having this care of well-being of each other. You will never see more clearly the beauty of the glory of God than in a relationship that has this unconditional love. And that's why we stay married. It's not about our happiness. It's something greater than us. That's why we will not murder our marriage and destroy the very one flesh God is designed to bear most clearly the beauty of who He is. This is why God takes it so seriously. To destroy marriage is to destroy that which bears the image of God, and to do so is not much different than taking life in the very sight of God. That's why we get married. That's why we stay married. Now, if you're here this morning and you're single, you're saying, this message sucks. <laughs> and you're going, you know, I want to get married, but none of the toads around me want to get married. <laughs> the glory of God, you're still creating the image of God. And the beauty of His glory is still being seen in relationship. So if God has not joined you to another so the two become one flesh. Doesn't mean you still cannot be in covenant relationships of, friends, of friendships. Relationships of, of nieces and nephews, brothers and sisters, deep, deep friendships. No, that's not marriage. But the beauty of God and His glory can still be seen. This does not exclude you. You're still creating an image of God. Maybe you're saying, yeah, you know, I been married and divorced and matter of fact I've actually had two or three failed marriages what about me well what is it about 1st John 1 9 you don't understand when God says if we confess our sins the word is hama legao hama the same legao to say say the same thing God says it's not always blaming everybody else in every situation. The person I was married to, it's all their fault. No, it's humble yourself and just tell the truth. God, I permitted my marriage, that one flesh, 
that could have shown the beauty of your glory, I permitted it, Lord. I permitted it to be destroyed. I'm a sinner. But God promises to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you not understand Psalm 103 when God says he's your heavenly father, compassionate, remove your sins as far as the east is from the west? Do you understand what God says through the prophet in Jeremiah 31, 33? Your sins I will forgive and your iniquities I'll remember no longer. It's the very power of the forgiveness of God that permits us to be honest and truthful about the things that we've failed in. His forgiveness is what creates the safety. But once forgiven, now you know that God has created and designed something very, very special. The word happy, the root, means by chance. You take the same root, hap, and put it to hard, it's haphazard. Things are going great, you're happy. Things aren't going great, it's haphazard. You really think your marriage and the reason of your marriage is all based on chance? Do you think that's why God has joined two to become one, no longer two? When you made a covenant to God, God did a creation of something brand new. Why stay married? I hope after 38 years, you see my graciousness to my wife. I hope you watch her compassion to me. I hope how you see the both of us speak truth to each other. I hope you're around enough to see all the forgiveness that goes on. I hope you see that for Holly and I, I'm only concerned about her well-being. And she's only concerned about mine. And as the world sees this, what they're really seeing is not my marriage. They're seeing what? The beauty of the glory of God. That beach, HD, DVD, DVD, whatever Samsung comes up with for clarity on TV, the clearest when two become one. If you needed a reason to get married, you got one. If you needed a reason to stay married, you have one. Heavenly Father, I would pray that we would remember that relationships, it's what life is all about. And Father, whether we be made into one flesh and we have the clearest of all beautiful relationships, or Father, you have given us relationships with our close friends or with our children or with family members. Whatever it is, Lord, the way we treat each other, it's how the world sees that we love you. For when we are loving you, you would have us to love our neighbors, ourself. It's this when they see the goodness of God in us. May we always live out life in relationship. This we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen. God bless you and walk worthy.